Amen. Uh, if you turn with me, please, to the book of Joel, we're going to just uh, take three minutes or so to review what we talked about last week, and then we're going to get into some new things this morning. Our title is continuing on travail and acceleration. And uh, unlike when I preach this at Pastor Nancy's church, when I have less than an hour um, to do it, uh, I'm rushing and trying to just hit highlights. But in my church, I can take more time and we can listen to God a little bit more and, and just flow a little bit more. And I like that. I think that's important. And so at Joel chapter 3, the Lord said this was the prelude. If you recall, uh, last week we were talking about it. And it says, verse 9, proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Now, don't worry about Gentiles or heathen. It just means foreigners, okay? It doesn't mean bad people. And, and really, this can be applicable to the church. Pro proclaim ye this among the Gentiles uh, and prepare for war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near and let them come up. Now, remember I said prepare for war. That means to consecrate. And I'd read some other scriptures. I won't read them again for time's sake, but I'd read some other scriptures last time from other translations that uh, talk about this, uh, this preparing means to consecrate, separate yourself, become holy unto. That means you're, you're completely given to it. Do you understand? Uh, you're given to it. Now, this word Proclaim. I just want to look this up in a, in a, in a different uh, setting here. Just bear with me. Um, Joel chapter 3, verse 9, correct? Yeah. Joel chapter 3 and verse 9. Proclaim. Hallelujah. I'm trying to get away from digital. Trying. And get back to paper. Because I just like it more. But the paper doesn't tell me the, the original uh, Hebrew. So sometimes I need that digital. Um, that's right. I, I couldn't remember exactly what that word was in Hebrew, but it means I talked last week about accosting. Yeah, yeah. Accosting means it's not just a little, hey, how you doing? It's a grabbing and shaking somebody. It's, it's getting their attention. So what God is saying, I'm trying to get your attention. I'm proclaiming this. I'm accosting you. Wake up and pay attention. Consecrate, separate, make yourself like the tithe is holy, separate. Make yourself separate for what? For a spiritual assignment. War means a spiritual assignment. Wake up, he says. Wake up. That means that there's a spiritual slumber on many people. Wake up and draw near. Remember we talked about that last week? Gather, assemble. Make this year going to be a better year for your faithfulness in the local church because there's an assembling required. Beat your plowshares, verse 10, into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I'm strong. In other words, your job, in this case, as a farmer has plowshares and pruning hooks, but you have another job and it's called war. So take the instruments that you're used to using for your job and now turn them into an instrument used for spiritual war. That's, this, that's what this means for through the, looking at it through the cross in the New Testament doctrine. That's what it's talking about. But this is, a, this is a powerful revelation because your worth and your identity is not uh, just a lawyer, a truck driver. It, that's, that's not what it is. That is that's, your, that's your job. That puts food on the table. That is your pruning hook. That is your plowshare. That's what an instrument a farmer uses to do his job. But what God is saying is, yes, you have your job. God didn't say give that job up. He's not saying be, un be unwise. What he's saying is there's something more important than just being a salesman or running a business or being a dental hygienist. 
you understand? All of those are great. Thank God for the variety of giftings that are in this room and the education that is in this room and and, and what what you do for a living. Thank God. It's wonderful. But what God is simply saying is that doesn't identify you. That is not who you are. To the world, that is who they are. They are determined by their wealth. The, everything is hinging on their, what they drive, what the house, what they close it up, what kind of title they have. And I'm not saying that those things are wrong because we're blessed. But that, that identifies them. That makes them feel worthwhile. But the believer, it's not based on what you do. It's based on the spiritual assignment of war and how much you're giving yourself. So God says, you've got a, a, you've got a pruning hook, you've got a plowshare, but I want you to make it into a sword. It's not just your job nine to five. There's a spiritual job to do as well. And you need weapons for that spiritual job. And I'm rousing you. Wake up. I'm accosting you. Separate yourself and gather and make your mindset think spiritual job, not just natural employment. Are you with me? That's what he's saying here. Assemble yourselves. He brings that. He already said draw near in verse 9. Now he says, let the, first of all, let the weak say I'm strong. Why? Because Jenny, when people, regular folks, just regular folks, that, all, that they've been so conditioned by society for their self-worth and image and for their sense of value to be associated with what they do nine to five. When all of you sudden you tell that person, uh, you've got a very important spiritual assignment and you can actually turn things. And the person that's retired, that's the, that feels like I'm not really that useful anymore. I've given my time to society and I'm just kind of sitting at home. That person might stumble a little bit at saying, you're very valuable. You're a warrior. That young person who's got their first job at McDonald's and you say, it's not just your job. There's a spiritual assignment. They might think I'm too young. What can I do? Do you understand? Every, there's a, God knows whenever he says, don't just think natural pruning hook, think supernatural sword. There's an assignment. He knows people are going to back off because they don't see themselves in the way he sees them. So why? So that's why he says, so because I'm telling you to think spiritual assignment, you listen, God is saying spiritual assignment. You respond to God by saying something. So it's not just God saying you're important. You have to say something back. What do you say? I'm strong. Amen. Let the weak, let those that think they're useless say, I'm a powerful warrior. Yes. And that word, I'm strong, is the, is the Hebrew word gabor, which is where you get the word giant, uh, tyrant, uh, overcoming hero. It's the word God uses for his angels in his army. You have to answer God and say, I may feel like I can't do it, but I say I'm well able. I say I'm strong. I say I'm a champion. I say I'm a spiritual warrior. I say, I say it. Now, if you don't say it, it's not going to work for you. If all you say is I'm a good accountant. Well, good, good. But that's not what God's looking for because he don't need accountants. He needs spiritual warriors. You may do that as your day job, (laughs) But, the, but you're, a secret, you're a secret agent. You've got a day job, but you've got something far more valuable and far more important that you're doing at night. You know, those superheroes in the day, you know, Superman works at the, I think the newspaper or something. But in the night, he's saving lives. I know that's cheesy, but in the day, we have a day job. 
but at night we've got something else. It's that concept. And, and if you can't handle that, start to say, I'm a champion for God. I know that sounds weird, but it's not weird. He told you to do it. So look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm strong. I can do this. Then he says, gather, assemble yourselves, all you foreigners, and gather together, together around about. Now then he says, because he is going to cause his mighty ones or his Gabor to come down. In other words, he's saying, I'm stirring you, I'm accosting you, I'm telling you you have an assignment. Now start saying about your assignment. I want you to start gathering, I want you to think right, I want you to separate yourself, consecrate yourself for your spiritual assignment, and I want you to, I want you to gather and be around others that have that spiritual assignment, because when you do that and you start operating in that assignment, angels are going to show up and they're going to help you. That's what, this ver- that's what these three verses are talking about. And he gave me those three verses and said, that's the prelim, that's the prelude, that's the hors d'oeuvre, that's the appetizer yes. to the sermon. Amen. Tell the people, I'm calling them. Are you with me? Yes. Now, he's calling us to do something in the area of prayer. Yes, and I know people say, well, that's boring. Let's talk about something else. No, you only think it's boring because you, you're ignorant. Yes. You have no idea what it is. If you knew what it was, you wouldn't call it boring. If you had any clue about how important this is, you would be weeping and saying, thank God the pastor's teaching on this. The only reason people don't get excited is because they haven't experienced it yet. But when you experience it and you see how it actually works. My goodness. Brother Copeland said this. Are you listening? An active, living faith is the secret to success. Active, living faith. There's truth to that. Dad Hagen said something similar, but larger. Because he's right. Well, we're not, not, we're not going against Brother Copeland. He said that at the conference two weeks ago. There is truth to that, but there's more to it than that. He was emphasizing that phrase, not because he doesn't know that there's more, but because his messages were on faith. So he was emphasizing that element of the secret to success. But I want you to know, Dad Hagen, uh, he, in, in December 1st, 1948, he was pastoring a small East Texas church. He took time aside that, that, uh, that, that fall to seek God and to pray. And on December 1st, 1948, God spoke to him. He wrote it down on a little yellow sticky note. And that yellow sticky note, 35 years later, was still in the leaflet of his Bible. So this was December 1st, 1948. He taught this in 1983 for the first time. He never talked about it for 30. I mean, talk about keeping a secret, brother. Notice it's called the secret of success. Secret being the operative word. Secret means you don't talk about it. So for 35 years, he never talked about it. I mean, that's pretty good. I mean, if God gave me a secret, I think maybe 35 hours I'd keep it quiet. And then, and then, and then it, would be, it would be out. It would be out. That's why Taylor was very nervous to tell me the baby and that they were pregnant and then that they had a girl and then the name, I knew Kylie long ago, but, but, and he was very nervous. I could see he was praying in the Holy Ghost when he told me because he knows, Pastor, you can't, can you keep a secret? Because when you're excited, it just might pop out. How do you keep a secret for 35 years? But for 35 years, he never talked about it, but he did it. And his ministry started to take off because of it. And then when he was at a round, they were having a, 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 like a luncheon kind of thing. And all the ministers were sitting at round tables. That's not typical service. And out of an unusual place, not, not, totally unexpected, the Lord said, tell them the secret of your success. So he shared it for the first time at that luncheon. 
and I got a hold of that copy of that, of, it was not a video, it was just an audio, but I got a hold of it, and I want to, you, you to see on the screen what God said to him, the secret to a successful apostolic ministry, full of faith and power, that's number one. See the word faith, see, that's where Brother Copeland, he's right in talking about that. Then he said, using the divine given instruments of travail and compassion will make you, <laughs> this is how God phrased it, interesting, isn't it? Irresistible. God obviously wants us to be irresistible or he wouldn't tell us to be irresistible. But he knows that just having a good plan and organized, you know, systems and processes that alone does not make you irresistible. This applies to the local church because we want this church to be irresistible. But this also applies to you. Don't you, spiritually speaking, want to be irresistible? What about when you're at work and people, they don't understand why, but they're drawn to you like a moth to a flame and they don't know why. And there's like a, there's like a, like a magnetism effect between you and others. And they, you are irresistible. You are, they say, you're just, there's something about you. I don't know. <laughs> and don't always think it's going to be the most nice, best employee, spiritually attuned person because it's not. You know who it is? The person that's the hungriest. The hungry people recognize spiritual things, whether they're religious or not. People that are looking for God will see things on you. Now, but there's a lot of people that might act religious and be good, moral, ethical people, but they're not hungry for God. Well, good for their goodness. We're not against that. We'd rather them be like that than, than, a, than a real good sinner. But, but what matters is not the sin or the lack, of, the lack thereof or how religious somebody acts or sounds. Do you understand? What matters is not that they say grace before they eat. What matters is that they're hungry for God. Now that will produce saying grace, but you understand what I'm saying. When I worked at customs, uh, it wasn't the most religious kind of person that was drawn to me. In fact, religious people were often repelled by me. Do you know why? Because I'm not religious. They're, they got that religious demon on them, the legalism, and it's just this heavy, oppressive, hard, legalistic flow like the Pharisees did, and I'm free. I'm not sinful, but I'm free. And they don't like that, so they push, they push away from you. But people that are hungry are drawn to you. And I remember this, he wasn't the greatest employee, far from it. <laughs> his name was John, I won't tell you his last name. Uh, but he, uh, he has a very rich wife who he married admittedly for the money. He told me that, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, she's cheating on him. He's cheating on her. I and mean, that's just common. And that's just common among sinners. I mean, they don't get a second thought. He's already planned the divorce because they have a baby. They're waiting to a certain age. And then he's already got the lawyer set. And he said, as soon as this happens, I file, I'm going to take half of what she, I mean, it's, it's all just, that's how. <laughs> yeah, that's how unrenewed minds they don't understand covenant although they're in covenant but they have no clue what it is but he always said I don't know there's just something about you that I like and I'm thinking I don't want this person to like me no honestly I want somebody who's nice and ethical and moral and upstanding and an example to me I want them to like me but this guy he's riffraff do you understand what riffraff means ragamuffin he, he, he's just, he's not 
of that area, that echelon that I'm looking for, 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 for fellowship in the secular workplace. Because there's a lot of moral people that are not saved. They're very good people. I wanted one of those. But this guy is the one, he's always fighting with the management. He's always threatening to sue them. He leaves his desk early and comes back from lunch late. Average lunch hour was three hours for him. We got, we got 35 minutes. He took three hours. And, 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 and that's just the way it was. And he could get away with it. I don't know how, but he got away with it. I don't want that person liking me. But he would say, I don't know what it is. There's just something about you. There's just something about you. And then the other girl that likes sleeping around and her husband, she would say, there's just something about you. And I said, what, what am I, Jesus with, with the prostitutes here? That's why I felt, Jenny, remember? Because one of them wanted to sleep with me. And I said, no, sweetheart, I, I, don't, I don't, your wife will never find out. I'll know. Jesus will know. Then I'm praying in the Holy Ghost at my desk one day and, and I felt a presence. I thought it was an angel. It wasn't. I turned around and both the girl and the guy are standing there looking at me with the strange look on their face and they said, what are you doing? What is that? And oh, nothing, nothing, nothing. I was just, nothing. I tried to make like, I was just, I'm learning another language. I tried to make things up. No, no, no. We've heard other languages. That wasn't it. No, I, they wouldn't let me go. They hounded me. What were you doing? They hounded me. What were you doing? And finally I said, I'm praying in something called other tongues. What, what is it? They wanted me. I did a little Bible study with them. The two worst employees. We did a Bible study at my desk. The cocaine sitting right there. I was on the drug squad. No, seriously. I've got cocaine and heroin and everything sitting there because I have to test it to make sure it's actual cocaine. And then they don't want you to taste test it or sniff test it. Some of the officers do, but you're not supposed to. I don't because I'm born again. That's probably why they put me there because they know I won't touch it. But with the cocaine sitting there, we had, a, we had a, little, a little talk about what it means to pray. And I'm thinking, what am I doing? They're not even saved. But they said, I said, why are you asking me these questions? Listen to what they said. I'll never forget it. They said, when, you, when we heard you praying, or whatever that thing was that you were doing. And now they're adding expletives all the way through this. So you got to get used to just the F word is just like second nature to them. When you're praying in that F and this, that, I mean, but I'm just, I just ignore it. Because I know that this, they're, they're, they're sinners. I can't expect their mouth to get clean till Jesus comes in. I do expect their mouth to get clean when Jesus comes in. But Jesus hasn't come in yet. When you're praying, I said, what, what? We felt like an otherworldly presence. That's what the woman said. We felt an otherworldly presence. 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 That means while I'm praying at my desk, filling out my cocaine forms, just under my breath, they're standing behind me listening and they can feel the presence of God. So don't know, I don't know why I'm saying that, but it's for somebody today. Don't always expect it just to be the most upstanding, best people around that will be drawn to you. It's not based on that. It's based on hunger. The one who's the most hungry. Now, if the upstanding one is hungry, they'll be drawn. If the low down one is hungry, they'll be drawn. If the prostitute is hungry, they'll be drawn. It doesn't matter anything else. It matters inside. Are they looking for God? Are they searching for God? That person will be drawn to you. Hallelujah. There is an irresistible quality to the believer that is supposed to be on a regular basis. Most of us never experience that. Do you know what will help you experience the irresistible quality where others will be drawn to you? And that's how we get people saved. You know, evangelism should be so easy that people are drawn to us. 
and that we're instead of us going to them and saying, can I please talk to you about Jesus? No, slam the door. It should be, we're just kind of living our life and we're not even hardly trying and they just come around us. I don't know what it is about you. Could you talk to me? Here's the open door. Well, sure, I'll talk to you. Now they're open because they initiated. Now I can share the gospel, get you saved if, if you're hungry enough to get saved. I'm not saying we shouldn't reach out to the cold ones, but I'm saying this, using these instruments will make us irresistible. It will make evangelism a completely other experience that we haven't experienced because they'll be asking us instead of us begging to tell them. Now, we should still tell them. I'm not saying you're off the hook on that, but there is an irresistibility that God is emphasizing in my spirit. Are you listening to me? There is going to be an irresistibility in the glory center. There is. And let me tell you something. I know I'm, I, I, I'm not a pastor in Nancy's church. So I don't have to stay to my notes. Because I get to, I'm invited back every week. <laughs> at my own invitation. <laughs> but, the, but listen to me. The glory center, when that comes, in the, in the right season, down the road, when that comes. Uh, I saw Jenny. I saw uh, drag queens. I saw vile, like when I say, I mean fragrant homosexuals, transvestites, transgender. I saw them. I saw them in the spirit. I saw them walking in and the glory of God was there and the presence of God was there (laughs) And, and the word of God was there and the power of God was there. But I saw, I saw in the spirit and I thought, Lord, that does not, when I think of the glory center, I don't think of that. Now, that's not the only element, don't get me wrong, but I'm saying, why are you showing me that? Now, listen to me, because the Lord showed me something about what's coming, and it's about this irresistibility feature. He said, it's not, it doesn't matter what they've done or who they are. It matters that they're hungry. And he said, some transvestites are not hungry, but others are. They're looking. You can't look at one to the next. You can't look at one businessman to the next businessman. Normal, good people, normal lives, everything, what we would call moral. You can't look and say you're hungry and you're not. But God sees the heart. And there are some businessmen that are hungry. They are looking for God. They don't even want to tell anybody because it's not considered socially acceptable. But they are in their hearts looking for God. And, and it doesn't matter whether they're a truck driver, a lawyer, whether they're gay, whether they're not, whether they're a, a mercenary, whether they're a Satan. It, it does not matter. None of that matters. Now, you see, that's where you've got to renew your mind. Because if it matters that much to you, they're going to come in and you're going to go, we're the ushers. They don't look right. They don't smell the part. They don't, they're not dressing the part. They're a boy that looks like a girl. Something is not right here. Why are they here? They don't fit with us. We are God's children. We are holy. They are not holy. That's the whole point of the local church is to get the unholy amongst the holy, not to demean them, but also not to tell them that their sin is okay. 
You're not going to come in here and feel comfortable continuing to be a transvestite. But when you come in here as a transvestite, there is, you're amongst holy things. But the person that comes, it's going to be because they're hungry and not everybody in their genre is hungry. But whoever is hungry, this thing that we're going to start doing more and more as the years pass is going to make us irresistible to them. And they're going to want to come and they're going to, their mind will fight them. But something in them says, I'm hungry for something more. My life is empty. Everything I've tried, it doesn't satisfy. There's a hole. There's a vacuum. I don't know how to fill it. I don't know what it is about these people because everything in me is repulsed by them. But I, I just, I, I have dreams. I, I think I dream that I'm in that, that church and I'm drawn like a magnet, like metal. I'm drawn. I don't know why. I don't even want to be here, but I'm here. See, because they're hungry. There's an irresistible quality the church has lost. Are you listening to me? I can emphasize different things in different sermons, but the Holy Ghost is emphasizing that today. There is an irresistible quality we have lost. And part of it is because we try to talk to sinners the way we talk to saints. And they don't understand our language. Do you understand? Now, Copeland says, talk to the sinner like you would a believer. I know I say what he means in one way, but in another way, it's not right. When he's talking to somebody about buying something, you know, he, he doesn't hold back to say, well, you know, God supplies my needs and I'm releasing my faith and I've got angels working for me. That's what he's talking about. And it's okay to say that because oftentimes they'll say, what are you talking about? Angels help you. And then they will perk them. What do you mean God supplies your needs? You mean you're not, you're not doing this on your own? No. And so sometimes it can open a witnessing door. That's what he's talking about. But then there's other times where Christians try to talk to other non-Christians as though, as though using the terminologies that they don't understand. Well, I was in service and the anointing was so precious. What? I'm just giving you examples. I'm not saying that you shouldn't talk that way. Be led by the spirit. But a lot of times I think we turn people off because we're trying to convert them with our terminology. And it's not about the terminology that's going to convert them. It's about their hearts becoming hungry. And then when they're hungry, there will be an irresistible quality that we have that they can't understand. And the highest witnessing forms is when they're begging you to talk to them instead of you begging them to hear. Are you listening? We have to renew our minds to thinking differently about this because this is what the future holds for us. But I want you to notice using the divine given instruments, divine given instruments. That means that God gives these instruments. Now, we'll pick it up again after Joe Morris comes and teaches us about the Antichrist, okay? Because I'm sure you all need to know about him and about the rapture and all the wonderful things of Israel. But we'll pick this up because this is a series that I'm doing. But I struggled with this for a while before I preached it, which was the first time in California, because I said, using the divine given instruments of travail and intercession. We've talked about the irresistibility now. But what about this first phrase, using the divine giving instruments? Well, first of all, 
Let's talk about full of faith and power. Obviously, that's not what I'm emphasizing right now because we're always talking about faith. And what is power? Power is the power of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So what is your side? Faith. What is God's side? Power. When he says full of faith and power, it means you've got to be building your faith, walking in faith, living by faith, stretching your faith, exercising your faith, and the power of the Holy Ghost, when it, when it starts showing up, you've got to yield to it and let it flow in you, with you, and through you. So, but we are a church that is regularly teaching about full of faith and regularly teaching about full of power and we will continue because we've only scratched the surface. There's much more about faith and power even though we've taught it a lot that we don't know. So we're gonna continue doing that. But because we are on a regular threshold of that all the time, the emphasis is the third paragraph here, using the divine given instruments of travail and compassion. This is the secret to Kenneth E. Hagen's success that he never talked about for 35 years. Now, when he taught that in 1983, it's been 40 years since he taught that. 40 years. It's been 75 years since God spoke to him in his little chapel in East Texas. Uh, this is a revelation that a lot of people that are, that are Kenneth Hagin followers have heard, but very few do. In fact, many of the ministers came up to me and said, I know that, I know that statement. I'm like, well, that's great because I never heard of it before in my life until God told me to, to listen to that sermon. Oh, yeah, yeah, we, we've heard that statement many times. You know what they would say to me in the next statement? Yeah. But we don't do it. Yeah. Another person said, God's been dealing with me this, about this for over a year. I haven't done it. Wow. Another person said, I've been thinking about this for three years. Haven't done it. And he said, thank God he had you preach about it because something, something stirred in us that it's not enough just to read it. It's not enough just to have it in the leaflet of your Bible. It's not enough just to, you know, frame it and put it on the wall like an amazing statement of Kenneth E. Hagin. If you don't do it, then what's the point? Religious people like it on the wall, but real believers do what's on the wall. Do you understand? And, and it's, it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to actually do it. Now, notice that it says using using. That means you, now this is an oxymoron. You are to use something. It's re, you're responsible. If you don't use travail and if you don't use compassion, you are not going to have success and you're not going to be irresistible. So, but you have to use it. In other words, you are to use this instrument. Notice it's called an instrument. You use a hammer. If you're a carpenter, that's an instrument. You use a pen if you're writing. That's an instrument. You're responsible to use the pen. You're responsible to travail. You're responsible for compassion. But, but then he throws a wrench into it and he says, divine given. Yeah. Yeah. Meaning you can't use it lest I give it. Yeah. But you still have to use it. I'm going to hold you accountable if you don't use it. But hold on, I have to give it. It's like God saying, Greg, I want you to write an essay. And you're sitting there, you know, you're walking around. Okay, I'm going to write the essay, and, but God's got the pen. Yeah. Wow. Now, Greg has to do something to position himself. Yeah. He has to sit down at that table. He has to get that, 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 that paper in front of him. He has to position himself. He has to concentrate. That's his job to position. Are you listening? Yeah. Now, he's responsible for writing the essay, but God holds the pen. What does he do to get God to give him the pen? Show God he's ready. I'm sitting. I'm ready. Father, I'm ready. I'm here. And then the pen comes down. Thank you, sir. And then he starts to write. 
Now he's responsible for the essay. He can't do it without the instrument of the pen, but the instrument has to be given to him. He is not in his pocket. He can't just pull it out whenever he wants, which shows us that this is a holy thing. Compassion and travail is a holy thing because it comes from God. You can't just choose to do it because God has to give it to you, yet he still expects you to use it like an instrument. And if you don't, you won't get the grade. You won't be successful. You won't be irresistible. So what do we do? We understand there's an instrument coming. It's very holy and important, and without it, we can succeed. But it comes from God, yet we have to use it. So we're working with two sides of the same coin. It comes from him, but we're expected to use it. What do we do, Father? I'm very practical. I believe in being very practical because these are deep spiritual things. But if you don't teach practicality, when people leave, they don't know physically what to do. And then they'll, they, oh, well, that was a, a wonderful, oh, honey, did you hear that sermon? Oh, oh, I just, oh, it was so deep. But then a month and a half later, the Holy Ghost says, uh, are you doing it? Well, it was so deep, Lord. That's not what I asked. I asked if you're doing it. But Lord, it was so, I had goosebumps. That's nice. That's not what I asked. Are you doing it? Well, I don't know how to do it because he didn't tell me how. But I was very moved by the deepness of it. Do you understand? I don't care about the goosebumps and the deepness or whether you think I'm good or not good. That's not, my, that's not what I care about. What I care about is that you get the revelation of the deep spiritual truth, but then you also hear the practicality in the natural realm so you know what to do tomorrow morning. We must balance the spiritual with the natural or we will not teach people right. What, do, what does Greg do? He is a double master's. He knows what it means to study. What does he do? Does he get in the shower with his paper? I'm ready. You don't write papers in the shower. Does he drive his car on the 410 this morning with people driving five kilometers an hour because there's an inch of snow? Sorry, that's a whole other sermon. Does he put the paper on his steering wheel and say, I'm ready? That's not the right environment to use the instrument. Are you listening to me? Do you now, could he do that? Could he write notes while he's driving? Sure. But is that the right environment? Okay. Now, I can be driving and praying and travail can come on me, but it's not really the right environment. So I pull over. He has a brain wave and he wants to write something. He pulls over so he can concentrate. He doesn't drive. Do you understand? There are environments that these holy things are required for. But, but God will give it to them at, at, at even times outside. But he primarily wants you to prepare yourself and position yourself appropriately. Do you know what I mean? He's not mowing the lawn with the piece of paper ready. He's not cooking eggs with the piece of paper ready. There's an appropriate response. I go to my desk. I sit down. What is that for me? I go to my prayer closet and I get before God. That's the approach. Now he can give me the pen at other times and he has, but the number one place he's looking is for me to position myself appropriately for the holy things of God to come on me. He has to hand me that pen. I cannot create travail. Listen to me. You cannot create travail. If you try, you'll open a door to demons. You can't. It's not in you. You cannot do it. It's not possible. No human being can travail. 
but 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 if you but if the Holy Ghost gives you that instrument, and remember, Jenny, we have to look at it like an instrument. I've always in the past looked at it like, well, that was a blessing, that was a help. He helped me go deeper in my prayer life. But it's more than that. It's actually it's the pen to write the essay. It's the instrument to be used in. But I've got to present myself and cooperate with God and position myself and say, Father, I'm ready now to be used. So I'll get into verses and stuff next sermon because I'm running out of time. But basically, in the essence of what is travail, if you look at all the Old Testament and all the New Testament words in the Bible of travail, the majority of them talk about a woman in travail to give birth. There are some also that talk about travail meaning hard work. They were travailing on the wall, meaning they're working hard on the wall. But it's, it's a context of work labor, manual labor. But in most of the, most vast majority, eight out of 10 at least, it's talking about a woman in hard work because to give birth is hard work. It's still hard work, but it's not in the context of I'm hammering or I'm doing masonry work on a wall. It's I am, I am birthing something that is inside me and it's coming out of me. And every human being, I love the fact that God uses this because from Adam to today, every single generation knows what woman giving birth means because if they didn't we wouldn't exist right we're here because mommy and daddy got together and mommy gave travail to give greg right every generation can understand this this is a universal concept because from adam and eve to to present there's always been women that are giving travail and birth so god knows everybody's going to understand this concept And what you need to understand is with travail, what is happening is there's something inside of you, naturally speaking, and there is great effort exerted to the point that some women, not now as much, thank God, because of modern science, but in the old days, many died because of it. But they were great effort, extreme effort. Women, I think, would say it is the greatest effort that they've ever given on anything in their entire existence. Uh, Ladies, are you uh, dead? If you had, if you, Deanne, did you have natural birth? Yes, sir. Or C-section? Both. Both. So you've had a natural one. Would you say that that, (laughs) would you say that the effort required is a little more than, than mowing your lawn? Oh, yes. Or even beating your husband? Yes. I mean, it it requires more effort than even smacking Junior upside the head right now, right? Right? In Jesus' name, she said yes. (laughs) Many women have told me that it was the greatest effort and the greatest pain and the greatest, it took the most out of them of any physical exertion of any activity they've ever done in their entire life. And ladies all over this room are nodding their head. Now God is using this example and telling us, I want you to use the instrument of travail. Why? Because spiritually, and I want to tell my babies, talking about spiritual babies. There's something inside of you. There's spiritual things that have to come forth that are inside of you. But there is great effort to push those things out. And everybody can understand this. And so if you look at all the scriptures about travail, most of them are about women giving birth. But then in the New Testament, God starts to talk a little bit about the spiritual significance or the symbolism. We'll get into more verses at the next sermon. But I'm saying to you, there is what the travail is, is you've got something in you that needs to, you've got something, Jenny, spiritually in you, but we've got to see it with our eyes. Okay, I've got 40,000 a week inside me, but it's not, I don't see it. So you say, well, the answer is just have a, put a, you know, we're going to have a a lottery and you're going to win a new car. 
come to church and you win a new car. Then more people are going to come. And then out of those people, some are going to stay, some are going to start tithing, and then we're going to have the 40,000. But that's not how we do things. That's how some churches do things. Well, then just change the thing and just tell people that homosexuality is pleasing unto God, like the Pope says now. You know, he says it's wrong. Jesus loves all of you. Yes, he does. But there's, anyway, just change the doctrine. The Pope says that hell doesn't exist now. It's official. Every priest around the world has to say publicly, hell does not exist. Did you know that? No, you don't know that because you don't read. But I read. Every priest around the planet has to say there is no hell. There is no damnation for sin. Now, what does that lead to? Live however you want. In fact, the CNN correspondent that was talking to one of the head priests in the United States, one of the bishops, when, when he got off the call with him, I was watching and he said, oh, thank God. The, the CNN correspondent, he said, oh, thank God. I've always hoped and prayed that there was not, when I died, that there was not going to be some punishment. And now the, the priest, the Pope tells us that there's not, oh, thank God. And the other girl said, oh, yeah, I know, thank God. No, you can thank God as much as you want, but when you die, son, there's going to be a big surprise for you. Now, you can change the doctrine, grow the church, we'll get the 40,000, but that's not how we do it. There's 40,000 inside. How do I get the 40,000 inside out? There's somebody that I'm praying for right now that's really struggling. They don't go to this church. Their life is going in a bad direction, and if it doesn't change, they're gonna, it's serious. That's inside me for their restoration. How do I get it out? There's a, my, my father needs to become born again. My sister needs to become born again because she's telling my mother, there's many ways to God. Jesus is not the only one. Now, see, she needs to become born again because a born-again person doesn't talk that way. Do you understand? Because she's had Muslim influences around her for 20 years. Now, how, see, his salvation is inside me. How do I get it out? See, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about anything that you need. So what I do is, Jenny, I got to get this here. So God uses the natural birthing process so that would understand. And it's very similar, believe it or not. So what do I do? I have an instrument of travail that I need, but it comes from God, but I have to position myself. So I go and I, yeah, I can do it in other places, but the best way to do it, the highest flow is take some time aside and sit at my desk, so to speak. I'm waiting for the pen. Go, go and get in my prayer time alone with God. And I position myself like he does to sit there ready to go. I position myself by starting to pray in other tongues and I'll pray and I'll pray. I can't make it come. He has to give it. I'll pray and I'll pray and I'll pray. And the Holy Ghost chooses to do this. You don't choose it because it's a divine given instrument. It's not a self-created instrument. And all of a sudden, when I'm praying, it doesn't happen every time, but the more you will position yourself, the more he'll use you. And all of a sudden, like a heavier, for lack of a way, it's like a, a heavier thing comes on me. And I feel, and it's not me, emotions, it's got nothing to do with emotions. I'm actually maybe in a happy mood. But all of a sudden, I'll start to feel this heavy, this heavy weight. And, and it's like, and everything, everything in your physical, your facial expressions, your body, everything responds to that. Because it didn't come from you, it came up out of your spirit, it didn't come out of your mind, it wasn't outside, but it's the Holy Ghost is putting that heavy burden on you and you begin to go, oh, and you begin and you start to pray differently in tongues than you were three minutes ago. And then if it builds, which it often does, it will build and grow and build and grow until you finally get to the Romans 8, 26. 
Can you read that before we close? What is it? 1147. Can you look at that, please? Romans. You're still with me. This is very important for the people that you're believing to get saved. If you own a business, this will turn your entire business around. If you're believing for a job, this will get the job faster than any other thing that you can possibly do. Anything inside you that is of the spirit, not of your soul. Well, I'm believing for another wife because I'm bored with the one I've got. Some men say that, not in our church. You can't have a burden of intercession for another wife because the spirit will only come on you for things that are according to his will and according to his word. So your motives have to be pure. Well, I want $28 million. Why? I don't mind you to be blessed, but why? Why should he come on you to birth that if it's not part of his plan? If you're going to use it for selfish purposes. Do you understand? Are you with me? I want a transfer. Now, you're not telling anybody why, but you like that girl over there. You want to work in her department. You all act, act like a bunch of saints. I've had 32 years of counseling. I've heard everything and more. I've had people say, agree with me for the transfer. Well, why? Oh, I just, it's a better opportunity. And the word of knowledge, uh, is there a girl you're looking at over there? No. Are, are, are you serious? Or really? Well, how did you know that? The Holy Ghost told on you. Now, see, uh, the, uh, travail won't come on that person for that, to birth that, because something in them is not, that's not right. Do you understand? You have to, you can't fake God. You can fake me. You can fake him and he can fake you, which you don't, but you could. I can fake her and she can fake me, which we don't, but we could. You can fake your boss. You can fake your friends. You can fake auntie, but you can't fake the Holy Ghost. You can fake pastor. Unless I've got the gifts of the spirit, I don't know. I'm just like you. I'm just a normal person, but you can't fake God. He knows everything about you. He even knows how many hairs. And some of you are getting less and less every week. And some of you are getting more and more. Some of you, you're looking furrier than I've ever seen you look before. You obviously got some chemical stuff you're putting on there and it's sprouting. See, Jenny, he's not always subtracting hairs. He adds hairs too. <laughs> In his count. Remember, he counts every week. <laughs> Romans... <laughs> See, that's revelation for Sandy. She said, wow. Now, uh, my point is you can't fake it. It doesn't work if you fake it. God has to give you this instrument. What I'm trying to let you know is a lot of people don't even know it exists. Then if you know it exists, you don't know how to get it. It does exist and it's very real. And it, it is the deepest form of prayer. All the nine kinds of prayer, this is Intercession is one of the nine, but the, the intercession, Kenneth Hagin said, there's more than one level to intercession. And regular intercession is shallow. It's called intercessory prayer. But then when you go deeper into the intercessional realm, there's another level to it, he said. And the deepest part, it's called travailing prayer. Now, the woman says, I've never exerted anything ever in my life for any activity more than giving birth. That is a very accurate statement naturally, but you know that it applies spiritually because when you get into travail, not just intercession, the deepest form of intercession, which is called travail, you are birthing. You, 
in that moment, you can't even speak hardly. You cannot, you can't pray in English. You can barely even pray in tongues. You can't even, when I get into travail, I can't even pray in tongues. I can't even articulate tongues. It is, it is a groan. It is a cry. It is a weep. It is a sigh. I don't even know what other word to call it. It is something so guttural and deep and raw, but it's deep in my spirit. It's something to do with my mind. And there is a groan that comes out. You can't even speak in tongues. It's so deep. Now that does, your mind fights you and says, what are you doing? You're acting crazy, but yield to your spirit. Because the Holy Ghost is allowing you, like a woman, in the deepest form of, ah, she is doing something beyond what she's ever done before to bring forth. When you get into that travail, you are spiritually doing something you've never done. And you are literally bringing forth the plan of God from the realm of the invisible into the realm of the natural. And it is the most astonishing thing to watch when the travail lifts and a day or two passes. And you look at the situation you were travailing about and in the natural, it has changed. And you've been confessing for years and that helped, but it didn't change it. And you can use your authority in certain cases, but travail is beyond even using your authority. This is the deepest form of prayer. And the devil, are you listening to me? He fights this revelation more than almost anything because he knows if they catch this and if they do this, I am absolutely helpless to stop them. Especially you mix that. There's people that know travail, but they don't know their authority. So you, but when many times you're travailing and then there's flows because I'll travail, but then it's like it will lighten for a second. I'll feel it lift off. And, And to be honest with you, I'm thinking, oh, thank God, because it's hard. Lord, thank God it's over. And then I'll hear the Holy Ghost say, it's not over, son. I need you to speak. Speak to that demon. Speak to that thing. Use your dominion. You see, he works with travail. But when I'm in that realm, I can't even speak in English. It's so deep. But it will lighten enough for me to be able to say, in the name of Jesus, and I'll speak. And then that travail will hit me again, and I'll go right back into that deep flow. See, the highest flow is not just travailing, but it's travailing and dominion and learn and knowing your rights and privileges and yet submitting your body and your soul and your spirit to God to allow him to come on you like this. It'll, cha- it'll change you. Are you okay? This, some of you are looking a little bit, but listen, the Lord said to me, this is what you teach on. So obviously he knows that you can't handle it because otherwise he, if he knew it was going to confuse you or hurt you or cause you to stumble, he wouldn't have me teach on it. But we got to teach on it because listen, revival is not coming to Toronto. There's too many wonderful preachers out there preach wonderful sermons. Have you noticed it's not working? Hey, there's a lot of healing meetings out there. Have you noticed that's not working? I've watched hardened sinners see miracles and they look and say, oh, whatever's good for you. It's fine, but I don't want it. And they walk out. It's not just the sermons and it's not just the confessions and it's not even just the power gifts. There is an area of travail that will turn loose a success and an irresistibility that we have never experienced in the church. Why did Charles Finney have what he had? It wasn't because he was a great preacher. It wasn't because he understood faith or confession. He had no idea what those were. In fact, Charles Finney didn't even know what tongues was. You need tongues to get into travail. 
Do you know what he called it? Because his heart was hungry and he yielded. And this is just south of the border. All those revivals with Charles Finney was upstate New York. So it's not, it's in our backyard, my brother and sister. In the 1800s, it was in our backyard. Just across the border was where they had those mighty revivals. Where people would scream. They would literally feel fire, physical fire, licking their feet. You should hear the testimonies. They could feel the fires of hell licking at their souls. And they would do this with their feet to get the fire off, but there's no fire. And they would scream and say, I need God! And interrupt him and run to the altar and say, save me, Lord! Why don't we see that? But we got good preachers. And we've got people that understand much more doctrine and theology than he did. And we've got great healing services. He never. But you know what we don't have, which he had an overabundant portion of, is called travail. Travail and intercession. And what he didn't even know what tongues was. He, they, remember, that didn't come until Charles Parham in the late 1800s. And then there's Zeusa Street in 1907. This is long before that. The doctrine was tongues doesn't exist. It ended with the apostles. But he said, something will come on me and I will speak. He called it um, unutterable gushings. I can't utter in English, but it gushes. And he didn't know what to call it. So he called it unutterable gushings. He says, I don't know if it's in the Bible, but I know it's from God because his presence comes. I'm trying to find it, but I don't know what it is. Oh, how much further we are ahead doctrinally. But yet he had the goods. We got all the doctrine, but we don't have the goods. He didn't have the doctrine, but he had the goods. Come on, my brother and sister. We got the best of both worlds. And he would go, not him as much. He did it too. But Abel Carey and Abel Clary and Father Nash would go ahead for weeks at a time, rent a little, a little hotel, and every day they would get in there and travail would come on them and they would roll and groan and cry and people thought they were literally crazy. But they would, what they were doing, they were birthing souls in that city, they, in the heart of God. Mr. Box over here that runs the stablery needs to be saved, but he's very resistant. But their intercession, see, Mr. Box is in God's heart. Now that in travail will birth his salvation so it can be seen in the natural. Mr. Box shows up to the preacher three weeks later and he feels fire on his feet and he runs to the altar and says, I need to be saved. It wasn't the preaching, it was the travail. The preaching just told him how to do it. The travail did the work. Are you listening to me? We put so much emphasis, and in some ways rightfully so, and in other ways wrongfully so, on the preacher. The preacher announces. The preacher tells you how. The preacher tells you why. The preacher tells you when. But the goods is done before the preacher gets up. We want revival in Toronto. It's not going to happen because we've got good preachers. We've got a whole city full of good preachers. It's not going to happen because we even got the power of God, which I was convinced that it would for many years until I saw the power of God not touch any. Some hearts are so hardened, they don't even care about the power of God. Look at those sorcerers, those magicians into occult in Pharaoh's court. They were so hardened that they saw the power of God and they still rejected it. 
We've got a whole group of people that will reject the power. That won't be enough to turn them. A good servant won't be enough to turn them. But intercessory travail done in the prayer closet away from prying eyes a human being giving themselves to God and say father what is in your heart put it in my heart and when it's in my heart give me the instrument I can't even do it without you giving it but give me I will yield I will cooperate I will position give me the instrument I will use the instrument it will come I will give birth to it so that we can see it show up with our naked eyes in the natural realm. And I'm telling you, like I know my, I'm telling you, I can't explain it in English. It's clear enough. I'm telling you, this is the key to the end day great revival. This Jennifer is the key. There's many other things that we need. One of them is unified worship. You see that in Solomon's court. One of them is an extreme financial generosity because God didn't show up in Solomon's court until they sacrificed like 30,000 bulls or whatever it was. Millions of dollars worth of sacrifices. Their sacrifices is our bucket. In extreme generosity, the power of God shows up because it shows the heart. The heart is for God, not for their money. In extreme faithfulness, in extreme worship, in extreme love, living clean, there's many ingredients to revival. But if you notice when you're baking a cake, which I did a little while ago, I didn't tell Jennifer. <laughs> it's a true story. I found a recipe. I wanted to surprise her. I was going to bake the cake. But, the, but she didn't label all the things in the jars in our pantry. <laughs> now she has. But then she hadn't. And I'm looking and it said, I said this, that, whatever. And one of it was flour. And I looked and, and it wasn't labeled. So I said, well, I know what flour looks like, but it was baking soda. And so I did the baking soda and I did a whole thing and it come out of that thing, the piping hot, the little smoke coming out of it. And I'm like, man, she's going to be so happy. I'm so proud of myself. Craig, mm, you are good. Not only do you look good, but you bake good. And I, and I thought, let me just have a little tiny taste. And I tasted it. And it did not taste the way the recipe said that it would taste. Because a major ingredient, are you listening? Was mislabeled. You can't replace flour with baking soda and they come out the same way. Are you listening to me? Listen, we have many ingredients for the move of God, but a major ingredient has been mislabeled. This ingredient is called travail and compassion. And it's been mislabeled. And so we're not getting the results that we want to. But I'm telling you, I didn't even read the scripture, my God. Likewise, verse 26, Romans 8, the spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought to. We should know, but we don't. But the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Groanings. Groanings start with un un unutterable gushings called tongues. And they turn into groanings. Let me read you and then we'll close. Dr. P.C. Nelson of this scripture, he was a Greek scholar. Dad Hagen knew him personally. And he said that Greek actually says, with groanings that cannot be uttered in articulate speech. You can't even articulate anything. Not tongues, not English, not anything. 
Your speech cannot even be articulated because all it is is a groan and a cry. But it comes from God. God is groaning and crying through you. Think about that, Nigel. God, 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 the creator of the universe is crying through me for that soul. And he needs somebody to cry through. (laughs) The Amplified Classic says unspeakable yearnings and groanings too deep for utterance. The message says wordless sighs and aching groans. When you're in travail, it does ache. The Berean Litro says inexpressible groanings. The NASB says groanings too deep for words. The Weymouth says yearnings that can find no words. The Philip says agonizing longings, which will never find words. Agonizing longings. When you enter this type of prayer, it does produce a sense of almost agony. Because your physical body is not used to praying that way. And you're used to being happy. But there is such a burden from God on you. You now feel happy. And listen, not everything is just joy, joy, joy. There, there is joy. But there are times where it's not joy. Because God is trying to do something through you. And the, ba- the woman is not joy, joy, joy when she's pushing. But when the baby's out, she is joyful. She's holding and crying and he's so beautiful. Look what we created. But before it wasn't joyful. It was if you come near me ever again, I'll kill you. She says to the poor husband. See, when you're, there's a, there's a heavy, there's a, it's, 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 it's a fight. It's, but God gives you that as an instrument. He gives you the pen. Now use it, yield to it and flow in that. Joy comes always from that experience. I don't know if I've said it, Lord, the right way this morning, but I'm trying. Using the divine given instruments of travail and compassion will make you irresistible. We haven't got to compassion. We'll get to that in another sermon. I'm just talking about travail. I want you to know what it is. It's the deepest form of prayer. Uh, Some of you, most of you have never experienced it. I know you haven't. But this year, every person within the sound of my voice, including those watching, if you will position yourself at the desk and wait on God, he will hand you the pen. Every person within the sound of my voice will experience this before the end of the year because this is not for a a certain group. This is not for leaders only, ministers only. This is for every Christian human being. And God wants to give us, does he want you to be a success? If he wants you to be a success, he wants to give you the instrument of of travail. The only reason he isn't is because you won't sit at the desk. Sit down at the desk, pray, wait, put the television and the social media aside. Put all your errands and your hobbies aside. Early morning, late night, middle of the night, afternoon, it doesn't matter. There is no holy time. Just take the time and kneel before him, sit before him, lie before him, stand before him, walk, pace, whatever the position, it doesn't matter. When travail comes, I know the position you'll be in. You can't, you can't travail and walk. You're on the floor. I've never travailed and not been on the floor. You're on the floor like with your head between your knees like Elijah was on top of Mount Carmel. He was travailing. Notice when he travailed, he accelerated. That's why I'm calling it travail and acceleration because when we get into this, there's going to be an acceleration in your business. There's going to be an acceleration with new clients. But don't do the motive, well, I want to get rich, so put my travail. You've got to have pure motives. There's going to be travail with family members getting saved. There's going, to be a, there's going to be an acceleration in 
any area that's inside you by the spirit because it starts to come out of you. Children that are not walking with God, there'll be an acceleration in that. They have a will, they have to yield, but God can make it so darn irresistible to them. He can send angels in them and, and, and hover over them while they're asleep and he can give them dreams. He can do a whole lot of things. Travail will release those things. Pastor, your church, it will go to a whole nother level if you start doing this. I believe you are, but you need to increase it. Matthew, I've been trying to teach him. It's not just all the administrative in Africa. Travail must be made. When I go there in May, I'm going to be teaching some of this. They don't have doctrine like we do. They don't have theology like we do. I can't teach it to them like I teach it to you. It will go over their head because they haven't got a baseline of doctrine in that nation. They do flakiness. But I can still teach truth in a way that's simple to grasp because if those African pastors can start to do this, it will break the power of witchcraft like you've never seen. Travail and dominion, witches have, they might as well just pack up and go home. They, they have no, they cannot withstand you. Financial pressure cannot withstand you. Political assassination, political pressure cannot withstand you. They begin to pray. It doesn't say it, but I believe they travailed in that house while Peter's sleeping between two guards. And that produced the power of God and an angel showed up and delivered him. Travail can do amazing things. Groanings, yearnings, agonizing sighs. I, I don't want you to leave here thinking, my God, he's off the deep end. I don't want you to think that some people that are not spiritual could think that I'm talking about something crazy, but it's in the Bible. Our, our generals that have gone before us that have proven themselves by time and doctrine have talked and have lived it. And my wife and I, brothers and sisters, are living it. She more than me. Her and her brother. Probably more than anybody else right now. And I can't sell details, but I just need to tell you one thing. There was a situation that I was facing some time ago. I don't know why, but I know now why. But I just felt, don't tell Jennifer. It wasn't about me. It was about somebody that doesn't go to our church. So don't think because you don't know. It's not anybody here. But there was a situation I was facing with somebody out there, and I knew that I was trying to rescue their life. The backslidden Christians, I was trying to rescue their life. They don't go to our church, but there was something. I'm focusing on our church. I don't want to be focused on somebody else. Let somebody else focus on them. But there's nobody to focus on them. They don't have a pastor. So God dropped it in my spirit, and he said, I want you to wrestle for them. Lord, i got enough wrestling here. Even Pastor Happy keeps me busy. He said, I want you to wrestle for him. And so I started to pray, not travail, but I started to pray. And then it was coming to a head. I didn't want to tell my wife and I didn't tell her. And uh, all of a sudden something, I won't give details, but something came to a head. And uh, I got this report of this wonderful, unexpected, completely 180 degree opposite positive change and I found out because I didn't tell my wife that I was dealing with that situation I just felt not to tell her but the same day that that or the day before actually that that happened that came to a head she said to me I I just the Lord prompted me and said tell her I said, okay, well, Lord, well, I'll tell her. She can't really stop me. It's coming to a head tomorrow. But, you know, because I know she tries to protect me sometimes. She doesn't want me to be around people that would hurt me. 
So I just told her and I said, I said, don't stop me, Jennifer. I said, but this is what God, da, 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 da. and she looked at me and she said, what? She said, do you know what happened today? I said, no. She said, I was interceding with my brother and travail came on me. And out of my spirit, she named the people that I was dealing with. She doesn't even know I'm talking to them. She hasn't thought about them for years. But the spirit of God knows what I'm doing, although she doesn't. And the spirit of God knows that certain things need to happen in the spirit in order for it to work what I'm doing. And so because she sat at the desk, so to speak, this trave- and she knew because the spirit of God spoke the names. And so she's groaning and saying the names and it took 30. Now, if you've ever travailed before, 30 minutes is an extremely long period of time to be in travail. It, you, you feel like you almost can't ha- take it for more than five or 10 because it's so adverse on your physical body. 30 minutes, she groaned and travailed for those names. I didn't know she was doing that. She didn't know that I was doing my thing. She tells me just a few hours before, and, and, I, and I said to myself, it's done. God is one. Because when the Holy Ghost comes like that, she has no knowledge, but he knows. And, and when, that, when that situation came, it was a complete reversal. Hallelujah. 180 degree turn. And if you don't know and I can't say, but if you knew what I'm talking about, you would say that is nothing short of a bona fide miracle. When you're dealing with people that are hard, that have set their will, and all of a sudden it turns, Oh my God, angels get involved. The Holy Ghost gets involved. But see, I had them in my heart, but a process had to get them from my heart into the natural. God used her this time instead of me. That travail caused it to come forth in the spirit, from the spirit to the natural. And then in a matter of hours, Jenny, a total change. God won. People were helped. People were offered rescue. I'm telling you, I'm only bringing it up, Jenny, because I was thinking about it recently. This happened a while ago, but I was thinking about it recently. And I thought, my God, how much we have not tapped into this power. This power can turn situations. This power can turn sinners. This power can turn jobs. This power can turn new clients. This power can turn marriages. This power can turn anything. The more impossible it is, the better it is. Nothing can stand against travail. Nothing. Nothing, nations cannot stand against travail. Do you know why Hitler made the big mistake of going against Russia? Operation Barbarossa in 1941 in June? Instead of going at England and pounding them to dust? He had them on the ropes, Wayne. If you study history, he had England on the ropes. They had not, America... America hadn't come in the war. This is before Pearl Harbor. He had him on the ropes. He was going to crush him. But I read a book by Reese Howells, who was a travailing intercessor in London. And he had a whole school of intercessors that travailed. And they got in the spirit and they said, turn your gaze, Herr Hitler, to the east. And demons or angels, or I don't know who did it, but that man with all of his generals in disagreement with him, 
because he's so proud and he's, he's the Fuhrer and nobody's going to argue with me. And he says, don't worry about England. We got him turned to the east and let's attack Russia. And it was the fatal mistake that eventually cost him the war. But it wasn't, his generals were saying, no. What made that man, demon possessed, but what made him make such a naturally egregious error with all the wisdom in the room saying, don't do it. What made him? Reese Howells' intercessors. God in the spirit. You can turn the course of an entire nation. You can turn the course of presidents. You can turn the course of wars. Because for some reason, he got it in his mind. I'm not moving. And that's what they were saying. Turn to the east. Look to the east. Because God knew if I can get that fool to try to take that nation, he'll lose the whole doggone shooting match. And intercessors turned it. Argentine revival, intercessors produced it. You look all the way through history. The Scottish revival, the Welsh revival, intercessors produced it. We want a revival here, it's going to take travail. You want revival in your family, it's going to take. You want revival in your marriage, stop whining about your spouse and start travailing. You want your kids, stop yelling at them and start travailing. Are you with me? We're only scratching the surface. It's called the tip of an iceberg. There's much more underneath the water right now, but we've done enough for today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the great privilege, this divine given instrument that is a cooperating effect because you must give it, but we must position ourselves for it and then we must use it and we'll be held responsible, but it still has to come from you. So, Father, help this congregation step up. Give them hope today. Let them know in their hearts, no matter what they're facing, I don't care how impossible, how, how demonic, how dark, how evil. It doesn't matter how bleak it might look if they will position themselves to cooperate by praying in other tongues and letting you come on them in that great ministry of travail. Anything can turn. Anything can change. Nations, individuals, families, regions, businesses, health, anything. Nothing is exempt from the waters of the tsunami of travail. The waters will take everything. The waters will knock building down. The waters will take trees with it. The waters will move cars. The tsunami waters, nothing can stand against it. The tsunami waters of travail are unconquered. They are the supreme. And Lord, we see people like Charles Finney that got a grip of this. And he had the move of God that we're still talking about almost 200 years later. And Lord, we've got all the right talking, all the right doctrines, and all the right books, and all the right libraries, and all the right confessions. And thank God for all of our doctrines, and books, and libraries, and confessions, and sermons. But Father, we've missed a critical key because the devil has tried to hide it from the church because he knows when people get a hold of this, he, has, he cannot withstand them. When believers filled with God and, and purity, filled with dominion and might and valor and faith, get into the holding of travail, nothing can withstand them. And the devil knows that and he's successfully withheld it from the church for centuries and made us 
made others look at us that when we talk about it, like we're strange, like we're quacks, like we're uh, some extreme leftist group. No, this is Bible. This is middle of the road doctrine. And this is a mighty key to a move of the spirit. So Father, let us as promise of life churches, the promise of lifers, let us grab a hold of this. Let us, even if we don't understand it all, let us say, Father, teach me. Let us go home this week and meditate on Romans 8, 26. Let us study other scriptures in the New and Old Testament about it. Let us come back. And when we pick this up again in two weeks, let us be open hearted to say, teach me, Holy Spirit, through my pastor and teach me directly. I want to know this key. It is a key of success. It is the secret of success and we give you the praise and the glory.